You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Chill and Desert Storm. And uh, we've got uh, we got Phil Farsberg on the line with us, our resonant expert on Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, Phil just uh, reminded me, and before we get started, uh, uh, Phil reminded me that it was 30 years ago. And uh, I just, wow, I having a hard time get it wrapping myself around that but at any rate um we want to start our show like we've been starting our shows uh the past uh month or so and that's um by remembering all of our veterans and uh those that uh gave the ultimate sacrifice and uh, also we want to remember that if you're a veteran or you know a veteran that is in need of prayer, just go to our website, and uh, we have the J. Roy Ritchie Memorial. You can click on that, fill in the information, and we'll see that their names are given out, and literally we have thousands of veterans that will pray for their brothers and sisters. And with that, let's just take one quick minute and uh, pause and think about those that gave their ultimate sacrifice in Desert Shield and Desert Storm and that are still, you know, just think about those of the past, the present, and the future of our military. And we'll be back in one minute. Thank you. And we also do one other thing that's a little bit crazy here, but I always liked them. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you get used to hearing, and different things help different people, and certainly Jody's helped me. Ain't no sense in going home. Ain't no sense in going home. Jody's got her girl and gone. Jody's got her girl and gone. Ain't no sense in feeling blue. Ain't no sense in feeling blue. Jody got your sister too. Jody got your sister too. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Break it on down. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Hey, hey Sergeant Hardy. Hey, hey Sergeant Hardy. Tell 
everybody call it like to party. Tell everybody call it like to party. Come to the dormitory after 10. Come to the dormitory after 10. Make us clean it up again. Make us clean it up again. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Break it on down. One, two, three, four. One, two. Okay, now, if anybody's not inspired after that, I don't know what's going to get you up and going on a rainy day. But uh, I love those Jodies, and uh, they got me through some of the the uh, most chewed-up dirt roads in Fort Ord that one can imagine. The only place that they were worse, and I think, Phil, you can attest to this, is Fort Hood, Texas, where... <laughs> There, you know, there was a uh, about eight inch layer of just thin sand after the after the tracks had run over it for however many years. But anyway, uh, we got Phil on the line. Good morning, Phil. How you doing? Hey, how are you today? I'm doing great and uh, ready to go. And like I said earlier, you reminded me that, and I didn't. Golly. 30 years since Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And uh, where does the time go? Yeah, it, it has been uh, 30 years. And, uh, you know, I was only 30 years old when they sent me over there. So I'm a little over 61 right now. But uh, I do want to just make one uh, exception to what you said. You uh, you said I was a resident expert on uh, Desert Storm and uh that, those are your words and not mine. <laughs> well, yeah, you're so much. Uh, your pay grade is so far better than mine, as far as experts go. Uh, uh, I'm, I've never been to the Middle East, so I have to consider you an expert on it. You've been there. You've. Uh, I bet you've witnessed some sandstorms and some other unpleasant things in Desert yeah. Shield and Desert Storm. Uh, I definitely know a lot more about it than I ever intended to. <laughs> well, that's that's the way it works out when you're in the Army, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I want to mention, too, that uh, in going through the show that um, we work very closely with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and they are just absolutely fantastic the director is rick white and i say this every time you can't find a nicer gentleman than rick white colonel rick white retired and uh, uh i highly respect him and he uh he's always there in fact uh i talked to him yesterday evening about some uh, stuff and uh you know he's he's just always there and and has the answer and uh, I I can imagine his troops couldn't have been happier with with Rick as a leader, and uh, so on to the business at hand, and that's remembering Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Uh, like we talked, I don't, I doubt that, and I, I can't address this for sure because I I haven't checked that far, but. I doubt that the history books have a lot of information on Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I don't know. And if somebody's listening out there and they know exactly what the uh, history books, I'd say for middle school and uh, high school, what they reflect is is the reason that we even went to the Middle East. And 
how quickly we did go. So with that, uh, Phil, what, what, what are your thoughts over looking back in 30 years? Well, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, it, it unfolded pretty quick and, and we brought it to a close pretty quick also. So I'm not sure we get more than a paragraph in the history books if that, uh, which is fine with me. But, uh, the, uh, you know, what stands out to me was just sort of the unfolding of events. Uh, you know, at the, at the outset, um, there was, uh, I guess Saddam had begun by uh, making a bunch of noise about uh, uh, Kuwait uh, ruining the, uh, the, the prices of oil by overproduction, and so they try to do all sorts of things and eventually uh, they thought the best way to deal with it was just uh, invade the country and take it over and proclaim it to be uh, rightfully one of their provinces um, and uh, of course that didn't stand well with others uh, especially you know the Saudis uh, because that just left the Saudi Arabia to the next customer to be told, oh, you're also a uh, uh, a province of Iraq, and uh, they were very good friends of ours, and uh, still are, and so they uh, appealed to us. We, uh, you know, we began by, by sending in, the, you know, as necessary, very light forces, uh, 82nd Airborne Division, uh, easy to move, certain marine outfits uh, went in and just established themselves uh, as a defensive perimeter. And, you know, it, it became apparent to me that the, the whole purpose of those light forces there were just uh, to stand in the way so that Saddam knew if he came any further south, he'd be killing Americans. And, uh, you know, well, let him think about whether he was uh, willing and able to uh, to deal with that eventuality, so uh, that seemed to hold him in place for a while. And we began to to fill in forces, um, and heavier and heavier forces. We brought uh, most of the assets from uh, the Third Corps. Uh, well, first I guess we brought 18th Airborne Corps headquarters there, which at the time had uh, the 82nd the 101st and the 24th Infantry Division was really most of their muscle because it, it had uh, the, the uh, mechanized infantry, the, the 82nd and the 101st, of course, very light infantry. Um, and uh, so when they brought in the, uh, the 18th Corps, then they started filling in uh, three Corps or third U.S. Corps uh, units around it which were uh, 1st Cavalry Division, um, the uh, one brigade of the 2nd Armored Division was all that was left of that. They, they, put, they put the 1st Cav uh, in the center area, I think, under 7th Corps. They brought out of Germany. So the longer Saddam stood and, and watched us build up our forces, the more impressive of, of a force we were able to assemble right there before his eyes. I was a little incredulous that he was letting us uh, do all that. 
but uh, he let us build up and build up and build up, and eventually we had uh, about a half million troops there. And uh, so when it came to blows, there wasn't much question about what was going to happen. You know, as I've said on this show before, Saddam Hussein was not a military person. And to think that he was only makes him, makes him narcissistic, I, I guess. I don't know. I, it, yeah, well, he had a uniform. <laughs> Is that all it takes? <laughs> you know, I guess in some people's minds. And, uh, you know, but he made so many bad decisions. First was attacking Kuwait, but beyond that, it was... You know, he just made bad decision after bad decision. And to think, you know, uh, uh, he could take on the force of the United States was just beyond the pale. And, you know, he got exactly what he wanted. And he found out what we could do. And we did it rather rapidly, as a matter of fact. And then he was introduced to uh, Tomahawk missiles, I believe. Yeah, you know, each different force brought their own special uh, uh, charms to the uh, to the dance. There, the uh, the Navy had some pretty great uh, Tomahawk missiles, and and uh, you know, of course, the Air Force and Navy did a wonderful job with air power. Uh, the uh, you know, one of the things that impressed me the most was the way we were all sort of concentrated up that western, uh, I'm sorry, eastern coast uh, from the, well, you know, here a lot of folks call it the Persian Gulf, but over there in Saudi Arabia, they call it the Arabian Gulf. Um, well, we were sort of off the uh, the east coast of the uh, Arabian Gulf, and uh, 18th Corps headquarters was uh, over there in, near a city called Damam, and uh, we... Uh, just in a matter of a couple of weeks, we shifted the entire 18th Corps about I don't know maybe 200 miles out to the uh, to the west of there, and uh, we knew that the Saudis had I mean uh, the Iraqis rather had been uh, uh, repeatedly talking about how uh, we we were going to attack with uh, a Marine amphibious landing in Kuwait City and come up the East Coast like that and. Uh, you know, we, we let them continue to believe that. Uh, that wasn't the plan at all, but uh, it served our purpose that they thought it was. Um, and so when we did uh, have our uh, start our forces, I think they put a uh, they put a couple of SEAL teams out to simulate uh, Marine amphibious landing, and I think all that did was cause the Iraqis along the coast there to soil themselves. And the, uh, the the real force came around uh, this big sweeping uh, wagon wheel from the from the west. Uh, 18th Corps had switched over to about 200 miles up to the west and just came in in a big arc. I think one of the first things they did was put uh, uh, about uh, the entire 101st Airborne Division about 150 kilometers inside the uh, Iraqis' uh, rear area. Uh, wasn't and, that called the uh, Schwarzkopf end-around? 
It was good. It, it might have been something he learned in, uh, in football there at uh, at West Point. I'm not sure, but it seemed to work pretty good. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so uh, had my approval. Uh, and that was uh, yeah, it was quite impressive the way they moved that whole core in a matter of uh, really no time. And uh, it was uh, most effective. And uh, so, yeah, that was uh, that was it. It was pretty much all over but the crying. The Marines <laughs> did come up the uh, the East Coast, but they they didn't. You know, it wasn't amphibious. They did it almost everything ground based. So it was uh, it was pretty good. And then, of course, so looking from from east to west, we had the Marines coming up the the easternmost side. Then to their west was. Uh, a coalition of uh, Arabian forces that uh, came. There were uh, uh, Syrians and Saudis and uh, a few others. And then to the west of them was uh, was Seventh U.S. Corps that had come out of Germany with all of their uh, toys. And then uh, to the west of that was Eighteenth Corps, and it worked nicely because Eighteenth Corps, being the lightest, had the had the greatest mobility and uh they uh you know they were able to make that big arc and uh yeah uh pretty soon the the iraqis uh, main concern was how to get out of there yeah let's uh let's let people think about that a minute and we'll take a break and uh Tell everybody that, one, you're listening to America's Web Radio, and it's called Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And um, we also want to remind you that we've Georgia is fantastic and has some of the greatest memorials to our veterans in the country. One is the Healing Wall. At, it's the replica of the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C., and it's uh, located, it was the one that traveled all over the United States. Uh, I believe it's the 50% size of the uh, original wall in D.C., and now it's got a, it's homed in Johns Creek, Georgia at Newtown Park, and you're welcome to go by there anytime, look up names of friends, relatives, whatever the case might be, that uh, paid the uh, ultimate price, and uh Vietnam, and we also have the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame that I mentioned earlier downtown across the street from the Capitol in the Floyd Building, and it's worth spending a day or whatever time you can there and just looking at at the heroes that have come out of Georgia. We'll get back with Phil in just a moment. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, and I hope you'll make plans to join us on January 28th for Warriors for Hope. I'm thrilled to be a part of this virtual fundraiser for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and Warriors to Citizen. These organizations do so much to support veterans, first responders, and families who have been touched by pediatric cancer. I'd also like to thank David Moxley and his show, David's Pick, here on America's Web Radio for supporting Warriors for Hope. And I know you'll want to join in and support this event as well on January 28th. 
So visit warriorsforhope.events. That's warriors and the number four, hope.events. You can make a gift and reserve your seat for this virtual benefit. Again, that's warriors and the number four, hope.events. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you at noon on January 28th. And the folks that have put this event together, they're going to be in the studio on this coming Friday. And we've got both Rocky Blyer calling in and also my hero, or one of my heroes anyway, Lee Greenwood. And every time I say his name, I think of God bless the USA. And uh, he is, both of those gentlemen are just super to work with. And we're looking forward to uh, this Friday. Then we're looking forward to the 28th of January. Mark that down on your calendar. And it's going to be a virtual event. I know some of the things that they're going to auction off, like signed guitars, that uh, you'll be impressed with who has signed those guitars. So it's going to be a fun event, and uh, we look forward to it. So let's get back to remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and um, Phil Forsberg. And, uh, Phil, you were talking about the, the end around that, uh, I, I thought Schwarzkopf did a, a fantastic job. And I'm sure we have other generals now that, uh, if called upon would, would, but he sort of came out of, I wouldn't say he came out of nowhere, but he certainly wasn't a, uh, a household name at the time until, you know, I guess he's one of the most famous things was when they were doing the guy and uh, the guy was on the road and uh, basically got blown away. And and Schwarzkopf said, well, he's not having a good day. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. He, uh, you know, but Daryl Schwarzkopf, uh, a fantastic guy, right guy at the right time and the right place. For, for that operation, uh, but he was commanding U.S. Central Command when they, uh, you know, when we got our alert. And so there's a there's a guy in charge of U.S. Central Command right now. I don't know who he is, but uh, I'd have to say it probably uh, probably equal to uh, what General Schwarzkopf was. Uh, you know, but you never you don't get to hear their names. You know, they'll be forgotten unless they get uh, to go their turn in the barrel. You know, um, in in a real type of shooting war. So, um, you know, they'll be kind of unsung heroes. Uh, Phil, let me ask you. I you know I just mentioned uh, Johns Creek and the Healing Wall, uh, the replica of the Vietnam Wall in Washington D.C. Do you know of? Are there any Desert Shield or Desert Star memorials that you know of? Mm. Uh, none come to mind. Uh, I haven't seen any. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, at the time it was sort of a big deal. We, uh, you know, from the, from after Vietnam we had, just a very few little actions like uh, Grenada, but, you know, went very quick, and uh, and then of course uh, Panama uh, came off very quickly, uh, and then you know Desert Storm. The whole thing, you know, from the time we started sending people there uh, to the time we uh, were done was 
uh, just a little over six months. So although it involved, you know, many more troops than were involved in uh, Panama or Grenada, uh, you know, I think it faded kind of quickly. And, and, you know, I think about today, guys that go to, uh, go to, have been to Iraq or Afghanistan multiple times and uh, just, uh, well, I think, uh, you know, those are the guys that probably should have the memorial. Uh, we, I mean, I, I appreciate you keeping these things alive, and it's important. All of our history is important, but uh, I, I'm not looking for any memorials or anything. Well, I, I just didn't know whether it had even been brought up. Do you know, and again, I, I don't mean to be throwing hardballs at you, uh, how many how many of our military lost their lives in uh do you know an approximate number in in uh Iraq or in Desert Shield and Desert Storm? But, you know, I think the number 236 comes to mind, which it really you know, that that would have been a pretty good day in uh, on one of the islands in the Pacific in the in the Second World War, but uh, you know we uh, it was not not too many, you know. Uh, you know we had we had all the advantages, and uh, you know it could have been a lot worse if Saddam had uh, you know decided to go on the offensive early. Uh, he might have been able to uh, set us way back. But as it was, he allowed us to build up and build up and build up, you know, opposing him. And, uh, you know, he didn't have an Atlantic wall like uh, Adolf Hitler had. All he had was a line in the sand. And, uh, you know, an M1 going 45 miles an hour crossed that Mm -hmm. pretty quick. You know, you were there. What what were the people on the ground saying about Hussein? Uh, you know, we uh, we didn't really interact much with uh, anybody but sort of ourselves. Uh, it's not like uh, maybe in Vietnam where people are going into the village and, you know, shopping and, you know, buying stuff in the market, and, you know, mixing it up with the indigenous personnel. The indigenous personnel in Saudi Arabia are pretty uh, uh, cloistered. You know, uh, uh, you know the women are, are kind of kept separate from everybody. And even if you went to a restaurant and you wanted to eat uh, with your wife and children, you'd have to have a separate room uh, so that you know other people wouldn't have to look at men eating with women. Other than mm. that, the restaurants would be separated into. Men eat over here. Women eat over here, uh, and uh, we didn't really have much occasion uh, to talk to anybody but ourselves. And you know, soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen—they're gonna—they're excellent at coming up with their own rumors. So uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, wouldn't put uh, too much into that. And one of the things that was very interesting to me is we had a television with. Uh, a news feed we had CNN and uh, of course that was pretty much the 
you know, all you could, all your choices for a 24-hour news cycle, CNN and nothing else. And so, uh, you know, I can recall uh, watching one day they they had, uh, uh, we had blown something up and uh, Saddam claimed it was a, a baby milk plant that uh, they, they, were that. Make, they were manufacturing uh, they were manufacturing infant formula there and we had you know maliciously gone and blown it up so little children in Iraq wouldn't have their formula and of course we contended it was a plant to manufacture chem- chemical munitions but I remember you know watching the uh, CNN reporter standing outside this wrecked building uh, and behind him was a, was a sign that had hastily, a big piece of plywood that had hastily scribbled on it, baby milk plant. <laughs> and uh, everybody watching it, you know, because we'd been in theater for a very long time at that point, and we, we all turned and looked at each other and said, I wonder why that sign's in English. <laughs> <laughs> it's because... You know, all the signs that we saw there were in Arabic, and, uh, you know, we were unaccustomed to seeing things in English, you know, this hastily, you know, spray-painted uh, sign that said baby milk plant. It's like, this is some of the, you know, most transparent propaganda there is. And, uh, and of course... It's funny CNN that you was, mentioned that, because I, I remember all of that, you know. <laughs> and remember at the time that he was... He was trying to make uh, hay while he could, but it didn't work. No. Didn't work at all. And, I, you know, we talked uh, about the uh, uh, highway of death last time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, there was just – well, let me, let me put you on the spot a little bit. You know, right. coming out of Vietnam, we learned some lessons – and uh, obviously, coming out of World War II, we learned a lot of lessons. But coming out of Desert Storm, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, do you think we learned any lasting lessons or technical uh, military-type lessons from being there? You know, to my mind... Probably the uh, the greatest thing we would have learned is uh, you know how to conduct uh, warfare in that sort of environment and um, and uh, you know the uh, you know one of the big things of course is logistics uh, not a lot of paved roads there uh, and of course you need uh, you know the troops need water. And uh, so you've, uh, you know, you got to take care of these needs. And uh, just, uh, yeah, logistics, you know, very, very important lessons that we learned there. Uh, some of the things uh, in terms of uh, maintenance, how our equipment would operate, uh, tanks and, uh, and such, Uh you know, helicopter rotor blades will have a sand effect that, uh, and, uh, of course, you know, the, the sand over there, it's, it's not like, uh, 
going to Panama City Beach, <laughs> having this sugary white sand. Um, it was uh, it was more like uh, I call it cat box. It more like clay cat box litter. Hmm. Uh, kind of nasty. You know, you were talking about logistics and um, our close friend or friend, uh, General uh, Richard Dix. That was his specialty, and that's why he's away from America's Web Radio, is that he's still doing logistics. He was called back into the service to uh, work in the pandemic. And, um, you know, he he obviously – there was – Maintaining a force like that, and everybody, every company, every brigade, whatever, has a need or a demand. And uh, besides water, we I think we can all appreciate water. What would you say the other, some of the other major requests would have been, or needs of the of the men and women that were serving? You know, I guess you got to have a place for these guys to go and sort of decompress a little bit. Uh, some something you can offer them, some sort of uh, relief from the uh, from the monotony and the and the uh, punctuated with uh, you know periods uh, of terror. Uh, so uh, you know, the USO does a great job. Um, we didn't get USO over there, but uh, other places I've had USO come and seen them. What they do for our guys that have been in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and, uh, you know, mail, it's a very important to get mail. Uh, feeding, you know, you can have these containerized stuff like, you know, MREs and... Uh, they, they come up with this stuff they call it NKT, the mobile kitchen trailer. Uh, you pull it behind a truck and set it up kind of like a food truck sort of thing except in typical military style they uh, all this mobile kitchen can ever do is just eat up some water uh, for a uh, for these trays of uh, Stouffer's lasagna and Denny Moore beef stew they just kind of <laughs> scoop out onto your plate uh, I mean, it, you know, it's calories. It'll keep you going, but uh, you know, uh, you know, fresh fruit and and vegetables and things like that. Very, uh, very good for just maintaining health and and morale. You know, uh, uh, I know I eat everything I could get my hands on uh, while I was over there, and there was. Uh, in our, our orderly room, we had uh, a table where folks would just put the uh, the care packages they'd gotten from home. Uh, they were just filled with uh, brownies and cakes and banana bread and, and uh, nuts and chocolates. And, you know, every time you walk past the table, you grab a handful of something. And uh, I don't think I missed a meal while I was there. And uh, Our dessert. <laughs> No, and and I lost uh, twenty five pounds while I was there, eating everything I could. Wow! How was how was the morale? You know, this was one of the things in in Nam that you know 
why the hell are we here? But was it different in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm? with morale was you know when we went over there it was desert shield and we didn't know if we were supposed to hurt anybody or not and so uh you know that sort of begs the question well what are we doing here and how long are we going to be here because this come up all sort of sudden like and uh you know i'm i'm not really interested in buying a house here in, in saudi arabia <laughs> so maybe you can tell me just when I could plan to go home. Uh, you know, I was coming out of the heels of a, of a short tour deployment to, uh, to Central America for a year. And, uh, I spent about six months doing, uh, schools, temporary duty away from my family. And then, uh, and, and then this happened. And I think from about the second of, well, from about mid-August until uh, the 23rd of September we when we left. I didn't have a day off. We worked from about 6 o'clock in the morning until 10, 11 in the evening and go home, get a little rest, come back and do it again, uh, getting our stuff ready to go. And, uh, you know, we, we just wanted to know, when, you know, when's the end of this exercise? You know, if, if this is a war, let's start it. You know, and if it's not, then, you know, maybe we can go home. Um, so, uh, when, uh, and I think I've said this before, but when President Bush, H.W. Bush, come uh, over for Thanksgiving, he basically sent us a message saying, nobody's going to stay here any longer than they have to, and nobody goes home until the mission's done. And so we said at that point, okay, well, if the mission, you know, is to drive these people out of Kuwait by force, then let's get it on. Uh, and so we, uh, so, you know, morale, it's, it's not the cheerfulness of your troops. Morale is the willingness to do the mission. And at that point, our morale was sky high. We wanted that mission done so we could go home. Well, you know, certainly, uh, and and this this was part of the problem in Vietnam was that uh, uh, there was never a a real date of going home, and there was never really the uh, the feel of uh, trying to win the war. And until we started carpet bombing, I. Th- no, nobody could see the horizon, you know. Well, you talk about lessons learned. That's probably, uh, you know, one of the major lessons of Vietnam. Because, uh, you know, you, you have to you have to have some definition of success, right? Right. You, and have, I, to, I, you have to be able to know when your when your mission is complete. Um, and you, and you have to you have to know what your mission is, and I'm not sure that uh, that was always very clear in Vietnam. And you know, it's one thing to say, okay, well, we're here to shoot the enemy. Well, why do why are we just going to do it one at a time? Why don't we, with our power, win and get the hell out of here? You know, and uh, 
I, I guess the yeah. same way in uh, in uh, the Middle East. Well, in, in, you know, in that way, uh, Desert Storm was a lot tidier. You know, going in and we got a bunch of stuff done, and and uh, then when they said it was time to go, we left. And I remember I made sure and asked them. Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Because I have no intention of coming back here. And so you, you'd had all the fun you could take. Yeah, and then some. And then some. Uh, you know, of course, uh, one of our favorite little sayings there was uh, that here in Saudi Arabia, there's a pretty girl behind every tree. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just wanted to go home to America. <laughs> and they failed to mention that there were no trees. Well, that becomes apparent after a while. <laughs> well, it it is a desert, so you know it's um, it's inter- This is why we do the show, though. You, as people are listening to it, both veterans and and civilians, you're telling, you know, you're giving them a perspective that a lot of us, uh, you know, other than the American deserts, I've never been to the the. Uh, to Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or any any place in the Middle East, and uh, how was how was your heat control there? As far as did a lot of people uh, get in trouble with with heat strokes or any of that kind of stuff, or was it? Yeah, uh, we had plenty of heat. Um, well, early on, you know, I, I got there in September and it already cooled down to about 125 degrees uh, during the day. Uh, but you know it. Uh, you know it's it's hot there, and uh, there ain't no shade, and uh, so you know it had its challenges. Um, but uh, you know it it uh, as time wore on, it got a little more uh, bearable, and then you know in. Uh, by the time we got to uh, December and January, it was uh, it was uh, actually quite decent. Uh, you know, at night it would get you know cold enough to wear a jacket, uh, but the uh, you know it, it was workable during the day. I guess that was one of the blessings that we had at the time of year that we had to fight over there was very. Uh, was very fortuitous. Well, hopefully, uh, we'll never be. Well, I say never. That's that's an impossible statement. But we never want to go to war. Period. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Phil right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And again, want to remind everybody to tune in this Friday uh, we're going to have Lee Greenwood on and also Rocky Blyer, and it'll be a great show. They'll be talking about Warriors for Hope, and that's uh, two groups going together to put on a virtual auction, basically, uh, an, an event, and it'll uh, support 
Warriors to Citizens, and also St. Jude's Hospital. And uh, we support them both, and we're very blessed to have Rocky Blyer on and Lee Greenwood. And uh, Lee's going to be doing, a, or not this Friday, but during the uh, the virtual event on January the 28th, he'll be doing a very special version of God Bless the USA. And both of those men are just absolutely the gentleman's gentleman and it's been a pleasure to uh, do a, a little work with them and schedule and then so forth so i want to remind you again mark your calendar this friday at 10 a.m eastern daylight time so let's uh, get back to talking more with with phil phil farsberg and uh, we're it, it, it's I don't know. Maybe um, I overdo it, Phil. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I the veterans are our historians, just like yourself. And we have to keep reminding people of the sacrifices that many have given, some the ultimate sacrifice. But any veteran that went in country or any veteran, period, that was away from their family. We always mention the fact that uh, a veteran is one portion of the whole story. The rest of the story is the family that's been left behind and what they have to deal with while that person, man or woman, is serving our country. And, uh, you know, the I don't want to go into any detail, but the other day just just uh tore me up and we we've got such a wonderful country and such a wonderful military that we should be down on our knees every morning thanking god for the blessing of our military and those that have served um was there any any uh Reaction to the steps that we took uh, against Saddam? Uh, did, like you said, you didn't really get to talk to any of them, but was, when you were talking to your fellow officers, uh, were you all talking about, uh, well, let's see when we're going to do this or do that? And do you, do you feel like, and I guess, Schwarzkopf basically was making the calls. Was it a? I have a, a big thing, and I guess Powell was uh, the uh, was the head of the uh, uh, Joint Chiefs at that point. But do you think the the war from the time you got there until you left was really under the control of? people on the scene or was it being directed by washington i would say beyond any doubt it, it was being uh run in theater by gerald schwarzkopf <coughs> excuse me he uh you know he had full support of uh of the president and you know people don't really always understand that uh the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff is a staff officer. The chain of command at that point, you know, when you go to combat by the construct of uh, where our Department of Defense is set up, 
um, the General Schwarzkopf worked directly for the president at that point. And, uh, you know, the, the folks in the Pentagon were merely there to provide uh, support, uh, you know, uh, sustain our operations with uh, with uh, manpower and logistics. And I, so, I, pardon there me. was no, there was no place in the chain of command for for any of the folks in the Pentagon. You know that that to me is is very very good to hear because from a. As I recall, from a television standpoint, I remember, I think, asking myself that question during the during the war. And, uh, you know, they'd do the news conferences and all this, but yet, I don't... <laughs> Starman Norman was a pretty good-sized gentleman, and I don't think he would have taken a whole lot from anybody. And uh, he, you know... I was amazed too at the way Schwarzkopf handled himself. I thought he was superb in uh, not only strategy, but in and I, I'm no one to talk about strategy, but also I am somebody to talk about the way he handled himself on camera and with the interviews. And uh, it it he really had a talent for that. And I. I I think he helped build national support for what we were doing there. Yeah, uh, my recollection, of course, I was over there and not over here, but my recollection is that uh, that people were solidly behind him, um, so there wasn't any second-guessing or uh, maligning of him like we've seen uh, from some other politicians in more recent uh, conflicts. Oh, yeah. You know, I want to invite everybody. We're we're going to continue doing the show on, on remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. If you have a question about it or if you served in uh, Desert Shield or Desert Storm and you'd like to contact us, just uh, drop me a line, david at americaswebradio.com. If you have a question, we'll be glad to uh, put Phil on the spot and, and get that question answered. And if you have a comment or if you um, just would like to throw your two cents worth in, send me an email and, and we'll go from there. And uh, again, I want to mention that please go down to, uh, if you want a great day trip go downtown atlanta georgia and right across from the capitol building is the floyd building and that's where the georgia military veterans hall of fame is and i can assure you it will be a wonderful day for you your kids if you get an opportunity to uh, take your kids or your grandkids they all need to see it and Georgia is blessed with the fact that we've had so many heroes, and I call them heroes. If they've served in country, they are heroes. They are what, over the years, have made America great. And uh, it's, uh, it's out of respect that we do this show and, and all of our shows. Uh, and don't forget that we've got another great show coming up from... Uh, Colonel Lieutenant Colonel retired Pete Mecca that will be coming up this Wednesday, and uh, Pete does just 
absolutely a superb his his show on on uh, on uh, uh, Hollywood stars that went to wars was a classic. And if you haven't listened to it, then I totally recommend that you do. It it's a great show and very very entertaining. So, Phil, do you ever do you? you I know you said you you didn't have your hand raised particularly to go back, but do you, do you see that we will ever have to? Well, we're still there in many ways, but do anything like this over again? You know, I'm afraid we will. Uh, it's just, uh, it's the sort of thing that uh, we, you know, <clears throat> we always have to keep watch and we always have to, you know, write down our lessons learned and, and uh, teach them to our, to our young guys and every, every situation is different. I'd like to say, uh, David, like I began this by saying I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, advance myself as the quintessential expert on Desert Storm. I saw my teeth. And uh, as you were saying earlier about getting feedback from listeners, I would love to hear uh, anybody, you know, come back and and, uh, tell me uh, that either I maybe revived an old memory or or they saw something different or, uh, or I'm just an absolute liar and whatever I said is wrong, just I would love to get some feedback on that. Okay, I, I don't think we'll have to worry about anybody thinking that that you've lied about a word uh, <laughs> by any means. Um, you know, and, and this brings up another point that, that I try to make on these shows is that how important it is today to, it would be grandkids, not kids probably, but grandkids, get them up on your knee and in your lap and hug them and give them a good kiss or whatever. But talk about what you did or talk about your military service and what it's like, how great it is to be in the military. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of distorted pictures about the military, which just aren't true today. Um, we, I don't know of any country in the world that works on limiting collateral damage as much as the United States does. And also the respect that one branch now has for the other branch. We may play the Army-Navy football game, but that's about as much, uh, you know, uh, disrespect as, as we have. Everybody respects those that are serving, no matter which uniform they're wearing except for the one that they bought at the local store. Uh, but, you know, if somebody has raised their hand and they're serving, please, if you see them in the airport, you see my son in the airport who's serving right now, buy him a dinner. I can't afford it, but buy him a dinner. And, uh, you know, the military today is a great occupation. Uh, it has changed so much, and it is not just... It's, it's not what it used to be or what people used to think of it. You can, one, get an education. You can go to go into the military and find whatever field you're interested in working in. And when you come out of the military, you have a resume that's second to none. 
it and you go looking for a job, whether it's a contract job for the military or some other position, uh, electronics or whatever, and they see that you're a veteran, you you got 10 points ahead of the next guy behind you. And I just totally promote people being in the military. I'm too old at this point to go back in, so I want somebody else protecting me. And uh, that's why I'm a, a national recruiting service for all branches. Just find find the branch that that fits your bill, and they got a job for you. Did I say anything wrong there, Phil? No, uh, I you know I would encourage you if you think you're uh, got what it takes, uh, you have potential for real excellence. Uh, you know, that's a, a place where you could really make a difference. And uh, the uh, <clears throat> I would also just, you know, before time slips away, David, I just want to add my plug for uh, veterans who are having any kind of difficulty with the uh, with the Veterans Administration. If you're not getting the benefits that uh, you've earned or if uh if you don't know what benefits might be yours, uh, I would encourage you to contact uh, a service officer from uh, the Disabled American Veterans, the VFW, American Legion. There's a lot of folks out there that are really willing to help, and uh, there's a lot of resources uh, that you should plug into. And we're going to try to do more and more on on exactly what you're talking about, Phil. Um with that being said, it's about time that we're going to have to put the plug in the jug, as that's my saying anyway around here. And um, thank Phil one more time and look forward to uh, continuing our conversation and helping people remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we will get some comments from some folks, I'm sure. And, and uh, you know, Please tune in on the fifteenth uh, of January for a very special uh, show on with Lee Greenwood and Rocky Blyer talking about what's coming up, and you'll enjoy it and enjoy the twenty eighth of uh, January as well. With that being said, Phil, thank you, and thank you for being a friend and supporting the radio station by doing the show. We do appreciate it's my, it. It's my pleasure, David, and I want to thank you for the opportunity. Well, we'll keep pushing it and keep Desert Shield and Desert Storm on people's minds. Thank you again. Take care. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.